Well, as we transition now to our teaching time, um, Pastor Aaron will be continuing preaching through John chapter 5. We're continuing our series, The Gospel of John. And so I invite you to begin to prepare your hearts to hear um, what the word is today and open your Bibles to John chapter 5. I'll invite Vicki to come on up and read our passage aloud. Good morning. This is the word of God. It's uh, John chapter 5, 30 through 47. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his his writings, how will you believe my words? Amen. Thanks, Vicki. Morning, church family. How are we doing? We good? Uh, It's good to see you. Uh, For those of you who might be new, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. And we're excited to continue going through the Gospel of John. Uh, this is a value for us. We like to take books of the Bible and spend a, a lengthy amount of time just going through them. We started uh, back in September in the Gospel of John, and we are just cranking along six months. Uh, we're going to finish up five chapters here, so this is good. Uh, we'll be in the Gospel of John probably for the majority of this year into a little bit into next with some breaks here and there. But uh, today in particular, it's a continuation. So if you haven't been here for the last few weeks or if you've forgotten, I'll, I'll summarize here in a moment. But this is, this is a, an interchange, this is a dialogue, it's almost presented more like a monologue that Jesus is having with some religious leaders. And he's in essence defending some of the claims that he's making about himself. He's making some really intense, big and bold claims. And so we're kind of picking up uh, part three of a, of a three-part little story. And so what I'll do is I'd like to pray. Before we do anything else, I'd like to pray and invite God to do what he wants to do here. And then we'll spend some time unpacking these words together. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that, that so many of the things that we look at um, 2,000 years ago, what what they were uh, going through, talking about, addressing, um, God, we still 
we still address and we still wrestle with and we still struggle with. And so God, I'm praying today that you'd bring these words to life in our hearts and in our minds. God, I'm asking and I'm praying um, that you would help us God, wherever we're at, if we're coming in today, have a good week, bad week, whatever, wherever we're at, God, I'm praying we would lay all of the distractions aside and we'd be able to focus our hearts on Jesus. And for myself, God, I pray that you'd guard my lips and help me to teach only that which is in line with the truth of your word. And God, would you minister to our hearts here today and when we encounter our resurrected Savior, Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. You know, as Kyle mentioned earlier, today is obviously Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, It's kind of this unofficial American holiday. Football is a big deal in America, uh, but the Super Bowl is like its own thing. It's become this this, uh, experience where, yeah, you have two teams, and so the fans of those two teams, but even people who aren't fans of those teams watch, and people who don't care a lick about football watch, and uh, you're probably going to hear kind of two types of conversations around the water cooler tomorrow, the proverbial water cooler. Uh, You'll have one group of people who I'm going to call the football fans, and you're going to have another group of people who I'm going to call the not football fans. And the conversations may go something, maybe something like this. Uh, you know, hey, you watched the Super Bowl yesterday? What'd you think? And person number two goes, oh man, there was that Doritos commercial. It was hilarious. And there was a Mountain Dew commercial that was really weird. I didn't get it. And then they brought out Clint Eastwood and the Chevy trucks. And I got to admit, I cried. It was amazing. And, and then person one's going to go, like, okay, that's yeah, right, but the Super Bowl, like, the, did you watch the Super Bowl? What did you think of the Super Bowl? I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, you're right, yes. Justin Timberlake was awesome, and the halftime show was great, and there were no wardrobe malfunctions this time. It was, it was a really well-put-together, uh, spectacular, great halftime show. Loved the Super Bowl. And then football fan person number one's going, no, I'm talking about the Super Bowl. Like, you remember that there's a game being played between the best team on the AFC and the best team in the NFC, and we all know who we all want to win and who we want to lose, but we're not going to say it because there might be some people who are fans of the bad team and Christ loves all people and I don't want to hurt their feelings, but like we're, we're, we're talking about a football game, right? And, and there's, this, there's this thing where these conversations happen and, and you're looking at this other person who's talking about commercials and Super Bowl show and like, okay, that's, that's all part of it, but that's not the point. That's not the main point. That's not the reason why this, this thing is happening. The reason why it's happening is because there's a football game. Today in this passage, and as you probably heard in the scripture reading, Jesus is offering a rebuke and a challenge at some people who are really missing the point about his life, his work, his ministry, his claims. And and really the big idea of this passage is when it comes to the things of God, it's far too easy to miss the point. Because of our brokenness, because of our short-sightedness, because of our folly, it's far too easy to miss the point. That's the big idea that I want to get across, across you today. And actually, as I was working on it earlier in the week, I had an alternate big idea, and it just was, keep the main thing the main thing, jerk. Uh, but I changed that so that we wouldn't have to insult you in church uh, here today. But, but that's really the, the, the thing I want to get across today, is that we, we get distracted, we latch on to secondary things, and we miss out on the, don't take a picture of that, Alex. No, that's gotta, you gotta, you're going to post up my jerk comment? I'm insulting everybody in church? It's just terrible. Oh, the good one. Okay, thank you. Please post that right away. Yes. Thank you. You got to watch out, man. People catch you in, in bad moments. Sir. That's why I changed it. That's why I took that slide out, so I wouldn't do it. But here's, let me remind you a little bit of some context of where we've been, okay? You remember a couple of weeks ago, we had our, a guest preacher, Rabbi Matt was here, did a fantastic job of teaching us about Jesus healing this invalid, 
This man who had been paralyzed for 38 years was laying there publicly as an invalid. And Jesus walks up to him and says, rise, pick up your mat and walk. And bam, he's healed. And the religious leaders saw this happen. And and what do they do? Do they say, wow, amazing, praise God, a miracle. No, that's not what they do. They say, hey, you can't carry your mat on the Sabbath because he was now breaking their man-made rules. And so they accused Jesus of two things. They said, Jesus, you are violating the Sabbath. Now, did Jesus ever break the commandments of God? Never. Did Jesus violate the commandments, man-made rules and regulations above the commandments of God? Yeah, absolutely. But the other charge was they were charging Jesus with blasphemy. They said, you, are a mere man, are making yourself to be equal with God. And we kind of left on this cliffhanger. Well, last week, what did Jesus say? Yeah, I and the Father are one. As the Father has life within himself, so also he has granted the Son to have life within himself. And I have the authority of life and death, and I give life to whoever I will. And he just doubled down. And you can imagine just steam coming out of their ears. Today, he's tripling down. (laughs) He's going to go even harder in the paint, to use a different sports metaphor, but you see this in John 5, 30 and 31. These first verses we're looking at today, he says, he says oops, wrong, wrong page here. He says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So Jesus is saying that I'm, I'm perfectly in unity with my father. Everything that I am doing is not only authorized by, but it's inspired by and directed by God himself. I can do nothing on my own will, but only the will of him who sent me. And then verse 31, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. Okay, so, so think about what Jesus is saying here. He says, look, you're all coming and you're accusing me. I'm on trial. I can't just go up in the witness stand myself and, and just tell you. So I'm going to call some witnesses. You all have that friend that sometimes makes some claims about themselves, right? You get that friend's like, yeah, I, I ran a mile in five minutes one time. Like, I don't think you did. You know, like maybe chasing some Doritos or something. But like, I don't, I don't, you, you want to see evidence. You want to see a witness, somebody else who was there. You know, sometimes that's with my kids and they make a claim or they say something like, okay, can we talk to a sister? Can we get some other perspective? Actually, this has precedence in the law of God. Way back in in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew scriptures, when Moses was the leader, in the book of Deuteronomy, it actually says, one witness cannot establish any iniquity or sin against a person, whatever that person has done. A fact must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now that's God's grace, is it not? Two or three witnesses that God would be gracious to make sure. So somebody comes up to you and says, I saw you breaking this law or I saw you commit this sin and that's it. One person's word against another person's word. No, God in his grace and his mercy says, no, you have to establish it by two or three witnesses. This is before the age of technology, recording mediums. This is multiple eyewitnesses has to be, have to be brought forth. And Jesus is actually going to bring forth four not just two or three. He's going to bring forward four witnesses to say, yeah, I know I'm making some radical claims, but I want you to think about these witnesses. And, and as we go through these four witnesses, you're going to see not only Jesus bring these witnesses forward, but you're going to see some problems. He's going to highlight some problems, the way that these people interacted with these witnesses, these specific religious leaders, they missed the point. And I'll just say this from the outset. 
None of these things that that we're going to talk about, these four witnesses, none of these things are bad things in and of themselves. They're good things. They're just not the main thing. They're not the central thing. They're not, well, Jesus himself. And so walk with me through, if you would, these verses, starting in, in verse 32. The first witness that Jesus is going to call is John. There is another who bears witness about me, And I know that the testimony he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. By the way, uh, lots of Johns in the Gospel of John. Which John are we talking about here? John the baptizer, right? Not John, the one who wrote the book of John. Uh, The other John, John the baptizer. It speaks about John the baptizer. He's a witness. He's He's a forerunner. He came to tell people to get them ready for Jesus. And he says, you sent to him. You remember that? They, they sent a delegation. The religious leaders went out. They talked to John. What's your, what's your ministry about? What are you doing? You're baptizing people. You're prophesying. You're wearing camel skins and eating bugs. You're freaking everybody out. What's going on? Not that the testimony I receive is from man. I don't, I don't need a human being to, to, to testify to me. But I say these things so that you may be saved. Can we just pause for a moment there? Jesus is talking to prideful religious elite. And there is much that Jesus says to critique and to uh, uh, challenge and to rebuke prideful religious people. Amen? Uh, the, the Pharisees are, are, are kind of a, a favorite whipping boy of, of the New Testament Gospels. But even in that, what is Jesus' heart for them? That they would be saved. So even as we talk about religion and, and religiosity and some of that today, do you think we could have that same heart that Jesus has, that he wants them to be saved. Talking about John, he was a burning and a shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. John the baptizer is prophesied multiple places in the Old Testament, hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born, hundreds of years, centuries before John the baptizer was ever born. He, he was prophesied, he was promised. Uh, you can see one that I think is in the background of this verse here in Psalm 132. It's this promise of redemption. John is being promised in here. Listen to what it says. The Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his home. And then it quotes from God, this is my resting place forever. I will make my home here because I have desired it. God wants to be with his people. I will abundantly bless its food. I will satisfy its needy with bread. Does that sound pretty good? I will clothe its priests with salvation. The leaders are going to be godly. And its faithful people will shout for joy. There I will make a horn grow for David. That that word horn is kind of a figurative representation of I'm going to have a leader raise up from the family line of David and I have prepared a lamp for my anointed one. There it is. I've got John the baptizer ready for the Messiah. So you got to remember the history of the people of Israel. At this point in the first century, the people of Israel have endured a lot there was exile. They were taken out of their homeland. And, and they, were, they were there for, for generations. And then when they finally got to go back home, it wasn't like it was all happy and, and, and chocolates and roses. It was hard and people oppressed them. And one nation after another came in and oppressed them. And they tried to rebuild the temple under Ezra and Nehemiah. And it just was not, it wasn't what it was supposed to be. And King Herod eventually rebuilt the temple. But now there's the Romans in charge. I mean, it had just been hard. It had been hard for many, many years, for centuries. In fact, about four centuries or so. And one of the big things about this time is there had not been any prophets of God. 
Oh man, if you were, if you were a first century Jew and you're reading your, your Old Testament scriptures, you're reading the Bible, uh, man, when the prophets showed up, stuff happened, right? Like when that one guy, Elijah, showed up and fire and lightning came down from heaven and burned up the sacrifice and they went and, uh, you know, took down all the prophets of Baal and man, like stuff happened when the prophets showed up. There's been no prophets for a long time, downtrodden, oppressed. And then all of a sudden, here comes that strange dude hanging out, wearing camel skin, eating locusts and honey and prophesying about the kingdom of God and speaking truth. It says that people came and flocked to him, but Might I remind you, what was the point of John's whole ministry? To gather attention for himself or to point it off to Jesus? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In John 1, it says that that, that John the baptizer was not the light, but he is to point us to the light. The light is Jesus, but he's a lamp. He's a light. He's to point us to Jesus. So, So here's the first problem. The first problem is they stopped at the leader. They didn't follow all the way through to where the leader was pointing. They were attracted to the leader. They liked the leader. They liked the prophet. He probably made them feel very legit after, again, years, centuries of being downtrodden and just having uh, their their lives dictated to them. It probably felt really good. Oh, we got a prophet in the land. Something's really going to happen. But they missed the point that he was pointing them forward to Jesus. D.A. Carson, a, a Bible scholar and pastor says this, both the New Testament and Josephus, he's a, a historian that lived a little after the time of the New Testament. <clears throat> they both record that the ministry of John the Baptist generated considerable messianic excitement. His announcement that the coming one was near provoked enthusiastic joy. If John's hearers would remember that healthy response to John's preaching and recognize in Jesus the one in whom the Baptist announced, well then John's witness would prove to be extraordinarily helpful. The sad reality, however, was that far too many chose to enjoy his light only for a time. They got stuck on the Doritos commercial and they missed the game. They got stuck on the leader and they missed the one that the leader was pointing to. Second witness. Second witness. We're going we're gonna to step up here, by the way. Verse 36, the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. Okay, I, I'm not just, that started low. John was easy. I got a greater one. The works that the Father has given to me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing, bear witness about me that the Father had sent me. Okay, uh, again, reminder, context, what work had Jesus just done that prompted this whole conversation? Healing the man, the, the healing of the invalid, which is actually the, the third of the, the major signs that we've seen so far in the Gospel of John. The first was the water into wine, then he healed the official son, and now he's healing the man uh, whose legs hadn't worked for 38 years. So Jesus is doing these signs. By the way, remember the, the man who was healed had been laying there for 38 years. Do you think that some people recognized him? And when he got up and started walking around, some people went, wait a minute, I thought he couldn't walk for kind of like four decades, right? Like people saw this, it stirred some commotion. I actually love when they say, who, who did this to you? Who healed you? He's like, I don't actually, I have no idea. No idea, some guy. He just told me to get up, take up my mat. I'm just doing it because now I can walk. And then they had to go back and find out, oh, it's this Jesus guy. Here's the point. The miracles of Jesus attracted a lot of attention. 
And not just the miracles, the more overtly supernatural miracles, but sometimes even some of the works that we would call, uh, you know, like the social type of things, the social justice of, 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 of giving people dignity and, and just all these, these actions and these works that Jesus did, they attracted a lot of attention. But the problem is that people then love the works, but they miss the point of the works. Jesus said things like, my works, I do these works to point you to who I am and what I came to. They stopped at the miracles and they stopped at the works and they didn't go all the way through to Jesus. I'm not going to belabor this point uh, too long because we're about to turn the corner and we're going to go into John chapter 6. Do you guys know what happens in John chapter 6? Feeding of the 5,000, walking on water, like Jesus is pulling out some big guns in John chapter 6 and and people are going to flock to him and he's going to say, hey, The point of the works is not the works. It's about me, who I am, what I came to do. So I'm not going to belabor this point. We'll have time to talk about it, but this is the second witness, the miracles, okay? John the Baptist, the miracles. Who's going to be witness number three? Verse 37. And the Father who sent me. Whoa! Jesus is calling upon God himself as a third witness. By the way, this is interesting. There's still one more witness to come. Hold on to that thought. The father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. But his voice you've never heard and his form you've never seen and you do not have his word abiding in you for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. Ouch. He's, he's just, he's sticking it to him. Okay. There are a couple things going on here that I, I, I feel like I know confidently and there's a couple things I'm not entirely sure about, but I want to walk you through this. First of all, when he says that the father has borne witness about me, what do you think that he he might be referring to? Is there a time that you can remember where God the father spoke with his voice about Jesus? Yeah, the baptism, the dove, you're right. Now, when, when Jesus was baptized, you remember he went under the water, came up, says the Holy Spirit descended like a dove, and then a voice boomed from heaven, This is my beloved son. With him, I am well pleased. The gospel of John does not tell that story. All of the other gospel accounts do. And so what I believe is happening here is that John is referencing something that was so well known, such a well-known story. He didn't even need to write that story. He's just referencing it because his hearers would have known, oh yeah, there was this time that God himself spoke about Jesus. What I do know more confidently is that this would be incredibly insulting to good, devout religious Jews. Why? Because their whole identity was defined by hearing God's voice. Again, go back into the book of Deuteronomy. Go back into the book of Deuteronomy. There's this, there's this word that Moses is speaking. He says, has anything like this great event ever happened? Or has anything like it ever been heard of? What, what is it? What happened? Has a people heard God's voice speaking from the fire as you have and lived? The presumed answer is no. He let you hear his voice from heaven to instruct you. He showed you his great fire on earth and you heard his words from the fire. The whole identity of the people of Israel was we are the people that got to hear God's voice. We are the people that got to, to hear what his voice was like. We received his word from Sinai. He led us like a pillar of, of, of uh, cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. We've seen his form. We've seen his, we've heard his voice. Like that's their whole identity. And Jesus is saying, you totally missed it. You ever talked to someone and like 
you're talking to them and you're pretty sure they're listening to you, but they're just kind of zoning out and they're missing it, right? Some of you parents know what I'm talking about. Some of you know that experience. You have, you know, a touch of the ADD or whatnot and you're, you're trying to listen, but there's just something really shiny and interesting happening off in the corner. And, you know, it's, it's almost kind of like that. Like, I've been talking to you. I've been saying this. I've been showing you and you're just not listening. Here's something that's interesting about this, this whole idea of spiritual experiences, hearing the voice of God, seeing the forms of God, seeing visions of God. There's a, when we think about Judaism in this time of the world, we should remember that Judaism was not just a a one singular thing. You could almost say there were kind of different denominations, different ways of worship, different expressions. You had, for example, you had the Pharisees, very by the book, studious, rigorous, very devout. You had the Sadducees, and you could almost classify them as kind of the theological liberals of the day. They made a lot of accommodations. Well, there probably isn't really an afterlife. I don't know about angels, that whole spiritual realm, but there's lots of good principles in this book. And then you had groups like the Essenes. You guys remember hearing about the Essenes? Like they were the weirdos living out in the desert who were like writing apocalyptic, fiery visions and, and, and much more focused on kind of this spiritual experience and spiritual awakening. Actually, I, I, I came across in my, my study this week a, a group called, uh, or a thing called the, the Merkaba, which is chariot mysticism. Basically, what they would do is they would read in the book of Ezekiel, there's some kind of crazy visions, and you would read Ezekiel over and over and over again. If you read the text enough and read it out loud enough, all of a sudden, boom, you would get to see God on the chariot. And they were very excited about this. I, b- I believe what Jesus is saying here is, is You're seeking these mystical experiences. You're seeking the voice of God, the form of God. I'm right here. You you want to see the the form of the the invisible God. I am the image of the invisible God. You want to hear the voice of God and a spiritual experience. I'm, I'm right here talking to you. This third problem is that they stopped at spiritual experience. And that spiritual experience didn't take them to Jesus. Rodney Whitaker, another scholar, says this, Jesus' condemnation of the opponents cuts to the heart of their own identity. Both rabbinic, that's the more scholarly, uh, and mystical strands of Judaism are judged at this point. Whatever they had heard or seen, whether in scripture or in visions, it has not been the revelation of the true God, or at least has not really benefited them, for they do not recognize the truth himself when he stands before them. Okay. Witness number four. I'd like to call to the stand. This is so fascinating to me. Verse 39. He's going to call to the stand Moses and the scriptures. Which to me, it's very interesting because, you know, John the Baptist, I have one that's greater, miracles. Oh yeah, God the Father. And then Moses and the Bible. What might that tell us about the priorities and the values of the people that Jesus is speaking to? do you think it means that they actually love the Bible more than they love God himself? I don't know. I could be wrong. Chew on that. Verse 39, you search the scriptures. Well, that's good. Because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. The Pharisees at this point, hold on, what? Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. More ouch. I have come in my Father's name and you don't receive me. If 
someone else comes just in their own name, you receive them. Like, I'm coming in the name of God. You don't receive me. Someone else shows up. You take them in. How can you believe, really? You can't believe when you receive glory from one another. More ouch, right? Just too busy patting each other on the back for being so smart and so studious. Oh, that's a good Pharisee. Oh, man, you're, you're doing such a good job. Say, oh, your scrolls are looking extra heavy today, brother. Like, you, uh, you've been reading a lot. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. Hold on a second. I thought Jesus was the one on trial. And now he's bringing accusations? The tables have turned. The, the one who was... Uh, you know, being accused is now on the attack. It's like an episode of Matlock or something in the first century. That's a really dated reference, but it's the same. It happens every episode, right? They always turn it around and they're, oh, you're, you're the guilty one. Never mind, that's dumb. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses. Look at this, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. Is there hope in God? No, Moses. Your hope is in Moses. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. This is making them mad. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And then when we transition to chapter 6, it just says, and then he decided to go to a different part of the country. We don't really know how the conversation ended. I imagine not pleasantly. Here's something that we need to see. There's a really important claim that is a foundational belief for us as a church, and it's this, the scriptures in their entirety point to Jesus. The whole Bible, and, and, and I'll even go so far as to say, not just the New Testament, the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures point us forward to Jesus. They point us forward to Jesus in a few ways. They point us to Jesus through prophecy. I've been, I've been reading the book of Isaiah recently just for uh, 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 devotion and for prayer and just reading it. It is unbelievable how clearly certain things about Jesus are prophesied 700 or so years before he was ever born. It is remarkable. He's going to come. He's going to be born of a virgin. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. All these things that, that were centuries before Jesus was ever born. Prophecies were given. But there's also things like symbols or, or typology that point us forward to Jesus in a, in a symbolic, artistic even sort of way. The whole idea of a sacrificial lamb that must be sacrificed, a lamb with no blemish and no spot, points us forward symbolically to the fact that Jesus would die. A perfect, sinless human being would die in our place for our sins on the cross. Things like uh, events that took place. The Passover, where, where God miraculously delivers his people from Egypt, takes them out into uh, the wilderness, and they pass through the Red Sea. And then the New Testament comes along and says, yeah, that's kind of a picture of baptism. Going through these waters, when we accept Jesus, when we turn our lives over to him and surrender control, we, we go through the waters of baptism like that happened you know, thousands of years before. And God even speaks about Jesus in his laws. The perfection of Jesus is seen in the law. Certain uh, commandments and and things that are given to us are serving to point us forward to Jesus. Friends, I want to encourage you, please don't just be New Testament Christians. I had a professor, he was my professor of Old Testament in seminary, and he said he would call the Old Testament the Bible and the New Testament the answer key. 
And I was like, oh, that's pretty interesting, right? Like, like you hand out somebody the, one of those New Testaments and then Psalms and Proverbs. That's wonderful. I don't want to denigrate that or throw stones, but you're kind of just handing somebody the answer key and like, that's great. What was the question? Where, what, what led up to all of this? What's all this stuff? You can't really make sense of the New Testament without understanding the Old Testament. It all points forward to Jesus. That's what Jesus himself is claiming in these words. But that's a side point. That's a, that's a foundational point for us. Back to the main point of this. The problem is that they loved the scriptures so much. They loved Moses so much. They stopped at the scriptures. And also, pride. Studiousness and pride and intellectualism saying, aren't we amazing because of how hard we study? And Jesus is saying, you're missing the point. N.T. Wright, pastor and scholar, he says this, Jesus' charge against his contemporaries is thus that they have been looking at the right book, but reading it in the wrong way. It's easy to be attracted to the study of the text as an exercise in intellectual brilliance. The Bible is the most fascinating book or collection of books in the world, and anyone with a feel for literature, ideas, history, great stories, can become completely absorbed in it. The academic discussions which arise from it can be fascinating, exhilarating, and as challenging and stimulating as any other subject in the curriculum. And God wants the best minds to be working on this job, but it is possible to allow the study of the text and of different interpretations of the text to become a substitute for allowing the text to bring us into the presence of the living God. It is deceptively easy to know everything about the Jewish hope for the Messiah and to not know the Messiah himself in person. And it is all too simple indeed. Sometimes our academic institutions and seminaries encourage it. Sometimes our community groups encourage it to use our knowledge and intellectual ability to gain status and prestige among our colleagues, that is as true today as it was in Jesus' day. More succinct and to the point, Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorites, says, they were great Bible readers, great students of the letter, but they would not come to Christ, and hence the scriptures themselves became a sepulcher in which they were entombed. Ouch. Spurgeon's got away with words, right? The point being... They stopped at the Bible. They stopped at the sign pointing us to God, to Jesus. And in so doing, missed the point. Now here, here's what I want to do in, in the last few minutes we have together. I would like to switch from preaching to meddling, okay? I want to ask us to examine ourselves, okay? So, so as we look at these, these problems and these easy ways that we can really miss the point, let's go through these four. Let, let me ask you. Do we stop at leaders? I uh, have pretty much grown up in the church my whole life. I'm thankful for, I've had some good and wonderful and godly leaders in my life. I've also had some not so good ones. And so enough to know how much I appreciate the ones who are good. Uh, We live in an age where you can get on your phone, books, podcasts, bloggers, authors, uh, you know, people, leaders, teachers, You could spend all day long reading and studying and learning and following leaders, prophetically voiced people, people who make us feel valid. 
You remember John the Baptist, I'm convinced he really made the people of Israel feel valid. We haven't had a good prophet for a long while. Do you you know that we do that same thing? We go to leaders that we love because they make us feel valid. We go to leaders who reinforce our point of view or we, you know, we go to a leader, a, a podcast or an author, a speaker, a blogger, because they can really stick it to the opposition, right? You know, those videos like watch so-and-so destroy somebody in three minutes, right? If they, if they had had Facebook back when John the baptizer was around, I'm pretty sure watch John the baptizer destroy the Pharisees in three easy sen- you know, sentences. It, it's, it's, it's silly because at the end of the day, there's only one leader to whom we're to declare ultimate allegiance. His name is Jesus. He's the chief shepherd of the sheep. He's the head of the church. He's the one that laid his life down for us, the sheep. He's the one that rose again, the firstborn from the dead. There's no one like him. He's preeminent in all things. Right now, he is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Look, I'm thankful for leaders. I'm thankful for the leaders of this church I'm thankful for our our, our elders and our our deacons and our staff members and community group leaders. I'm thankful for authors and I'm thankful for podcasters. I'm thankful for bloggers, at least some of them. And all that's fine and well and good, but do those leaders that you follow lead you to Jesus or do you stop short? Well, so-and-so said, well, I read this one person and they said, "Is, is that where your allegiance truly lies? Or do those leaders serve to point you? Look, the best I will ever do the best I will ever do as, as one of your pastors is to say, follow me as I follow Christ. And if you can run faster than me and go beyond, then please, by all means, do. Do you stop at leaders? Do you stop at actions? Some of you are, are, um, some of you are drawn to the, ac- the action side of things. You want to do. You want to do. You want to go. Do something, Right? Maybe it's more on the overtly miraculous side. You want to pray. You want to see God do healings. Friends, if you're a, a, a prayer and, and somebody who believes that God can heal, would you be praying? We have just many people in our church that are struggling with serious ailments and serious sicknesses. We believe that God can heal. When you experience a, a healing from God, man, there's nothing like it. It gets the juices flowing. It gets you excited. Also, but not even the overtly miraculous stuff, just the other actions and the other works, right? We have people in our church that pack boxes for Syrian refugees. We have people that are inviting in foster kids. We have others that are meeting with leaders in the foster care system. We have others that are going to Mexico to hand out food and to serve orphans. We got people going to Uganda to to drill a well or whatever. All that stuff is well and good. But do you know that we can be all about the actions and miss out on Jesus, Jesus is the one that said, my works testify to who I am. Jesus is the one that said, whenever you give a cup of water to someone in my name, the point is you're representing Jesus. It's not just a cup of water. It's about who he is. For those of you that are activistic and and passionate about the works of God, this is a great and a beautiful and a good thing. Just make sure it's actually leading you into closer relationship with Jesus. The one whose ultimate work was to die and to rise again for our salvation. That's pretty important, right? All of these other miracles, all of these other actions that Jesus did were were signposts pointing us forward to something greater. Do we stop at spiritual experience? Spiritual experience. I'm I'm not going to make anybody raise your hands, but some of you really like the idea of, of experiences. It's funny, I was talking with a couple a few weeks ago, 
and, and I won't even say husband or wife, but one of them had said, man, I love it when we sing and we, you know, we praise and worship God through song. And I just, man, my heart opens up and I can cry and I just experience all this. And then the spouse goes, I, I feel nothing. <laughs> I get nothing. I just, I just stand there and I endure it until the teaching goes. I get my pen out, right? Some of you are experientially minded. Some of you uh, have dreams. Some of you have visions. Some of you, God speaks. I actually have two ladies in our church in recent weeks have shared things that God spoke to them, put on their hearts, tested, approved, confirmed. And man, they were right on. They really heard from God. It was remarkable. It gave me goosebumps. Some pretty cool things that they could not have known if God had not shown it to them. So there's nothing wrong with experience. In fact, spiritual experience is a good thing. Whether it's in the gathered worship or in the privacy of, of your own home or wherever you are, that's a good and a beautiful thing. However, a couple things. Do you know that sometimes experiences can be falsified or can be manipulated, right? So are these genuine spiritual experiences? Not every spiritual experience is a good thing, right? There's such a thing as false spirits, false spirituality, do these spiritual experiences lead you closer to God? I heard someone say something about, man, I just had this amazing spiritual experience and I really got in touch with myself and I thought to myself, that is a bummer because you're a mess and you want to get in touch with that? Uh, like, like you're the one that got yourself into that mess. You probably need to get in touch with someone who could help fix the mess. Like, I don't know, a redeemer named Jesus. Spiritual experiences are great. Do not, please do not walk away thinking that I'm denigrating them. We, we actually could grow in this as a church. But do they lead you closer to Jesus? And then lastly, you ready? This is going to hurt the most, Sound City Bible Church. <laughs> if you want to get up and walk out, no, it's fine. I won't judge you. Do we stop at study? Okay, I will remind you. We, 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 we called the church Sound City Bible Church, right? We do things like go through, we go through things like the book of Judges for crying out loud, right? Like we, we love the scriptures. We love the word of God in them. They do give us life. They give us food. They give us guidance. It's all breathed out by God. But did you know that it is possible to study and read and theologize, if you want a big word, and completely miss the point of the gospel of Jesus. Oh yeah, but I love to talk about creation and was it day-age theory or the age of the earth and how long was it between creation and the flood? And by the way, speaking of the flood, what were those Nephilim? Was it rock monsters like that one movie I saw or is it something different? And, and also before eternity began, what's the deal with like infralapsarianism versus superlapsarianism? And can we just debate predestination one more time? Because I think we'll figure it out this time, right? Like all that stuff is fine. We can talk about angels and demons and predestination and the rapture and the end times. But at the end of the day, if your study of the word of God does not lead you to the crucified and resurrected Messiah, you're missing the point. Amen? Amen. Can I deliver that? that this is, if, if I was to be, uh, if I was to put my cards on the table, I would say this is my biggest area of concern for us as a church where we would be the most prone to miss it. Study and notes and thinking and deep thinking and, and just miss out on the Savior who it's all about. Oh, and by the way, Pride. Don't forget about the pride that comes from that too. Oh man, you, you, should, you should come to our church. Our, our pastors do such a good job and we, we exegete the word and we go book by book. And we go verse by verse. We've got really good theology. And then you know that other church, my friend was telling me we went to this other church. And you know what? Their theology is weak sauce with a capital S and you, it's just, oh. God does not want your theological accuracy if it comes with spiritual snobbery. 
Do we want to know the truth about God and his word? Wholeheartedly, absolutely, yes. That's a big exercise in missing the point. Don't watch the halftime show and miss out on the game. Don't study the scripture and miss out on the one whom it's all about. Can I, can I, just, I just close with this? Like, why are we here? Like, why are we even here? If it's not about Jesus, if we're here just for study, if we're here just to rally you into some action, if we're here just to have a good, you know, spiritual experience, and the musicians do a great job, and we love to worship, it's all wonderful, but if we're not actually here about Jesus, can I be honest with you? I don't want to be here. You shouldn't want to be here either. We do not do this perfectly as a church family. We don't. But our goal, our hope, our desire is to set our our compass heading on Jesus Christ, his glory and his glory alone. Where we fail, we repent. We ask God to direct us back to him. And we put him up in front of all people in our lives, in our actions, in our spirituality, in our study. Keep the focus on Jesus. God, I ask and I pray that you'd help us even now as we enter into a time of response. God, would you help us to not lose sight of you and your glory? God, that we would, we would, we'd keep the main thing, the main thing. God, just a simple idea. Yeah, it's so simple, so challenging for us as broken human beings. God, I ask and I pray that you'd help us to drop whatever uh, religious facade that sometimes we try to put up. We got it all together. We've got our doctrine down right. Everything's good. But God, would you help us just come to you truly as we are? And the reality is, God, that we're broken in many ways. We follow human leaders instead of following you. We seek spiritual experiences instead of experiencing you. We study because it makes us feel better about ourselves instead of coming to know and worship you. God, in all of these things, I pray that you give us an attitude of repentance and may your grace permeate this time of response now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, we're going to respond in a few ways. The first is through the giving of our tithes and offerings. And if you're a guest or a visitor, please know there's no obligation to give. This is something we're going to do as worshipful response to Jesus. Even as we we give, I would invite you to give with a heart and an attitude that says, God, I want to do this as worship to you. This, This giving, this giving is not about giving. This giving is about Jesus. Amen. And as they're collecting the offering, uh, let me read a few questions to help us this week. We'll invite um, the musicians to come and prepare to lead us. We'll invite our younger students class in to join us as well for this time of worship and response. Here's a question. Why do you think that people in Jesus' day were so prone to miss him, miss the point, even though there was so much witness and, and evidence? And here's the point of that. Sometimes it's easy to look back and criticize them, but we miss the point too, Right? Of those four problems identified, which one are you most likely to fall into and and, and to miss the point of Jesus? Number three, in particular, how do we as members of a Bible church need to study the scriptures, but do so in a way that keeps the gospel of Jesus as the focus? And then number four, how can we help each other keep that main thing the main thing? And and how can things like, like support and accountability from community lead us to greater joy? And I want to invite you to pray. Pray that we as a church would always endeavor to keep Jesus at the center of of what we think and say and experience and do. We don't do it perfectly. None of us do. But let's pray that God would lead us in that direction. And number two, this is interesting. I want to invite you to pray for opportunities to show people how Jesus is at the center of everything. There's a lot of non-Christians that think that Christianity is about being a good person. I actually had that answered to me one time. Are you a Christian? Well, I try to be a good person. Like, that's not even close to what I asked you. 
It's Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Do you worship Jesus? Keeping Jesus at the center is why we celebrate the Lord's table together each week. As they're handing out these elements, hold on to them and we'll give you a moment to celebrate here in a moment. But this, this simple reminder of the, the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus, we, we do this every week because, again, this is not about us. This is not about uh, just study or just experience or just, uh, you know, the name Sound City Bible Church or going to church. It's a good thing. This is about his death, his resurrection in our place for our sins. First Corinthians says that the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke the bread and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Friends, this is the body of Christ given for you. In the same way, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim, there it is, proclaim the Lord's death. This is about Jesus. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. When you come to the table today, we don't come perfect. There's not one single person today who is going to take communion as a perfect person. We come with all of our brokenness, with all of our sins, all of our missing the point, and we examine ourselves and we turn to God in repentance and we receive his grace and then we eat and we drink with joy and with confidence because we have been forgiven much by a great savior. I'll pray. Musicians will, will give us a moment to just celebrate the Lord's table and then they'll invite us to stand and sing of the glory of God and, and keeping our attention on him. God, I ask and I pray now as we eat and as we drink, would you meet with us in a, in a supernatural way? Would you minister your grace to us? God, would you help us where we get stuck on uh, various things, whether that be actions or, or miracles or even the Bible itself, God, would you let all of those things catapult us into deeper relationship with you, deeper love of you, closer obedience to you? God, now would you, would you forgive us where there's been sin? Would you minister your grace to our hearts? And would you strengthen us as we seek to follow you in all things, keeping you at the center of all we say and do. We pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen.